and welcome to BU Review Service. This week we're talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. On the panel today, I've got Alden Coat, Chris Lyons, and Will R. Thanks for joining me, guys. How are you all doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? <laughs> Great. Thanks for having us. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Okay, let's jump right into it. So this movie premiered at Sundance a couple of weeks ago, then hit up on HBO Max and theaters at the same time, streaming February 12th, getting a lot of award buzz. Well, the central figure of this movie is a man named Fred Hampton. In case our listeners don't know, can you just give uh, an overview of who Fred Hampton was? Yeah, for sure. Um, so first and foremost, like Fred Hampton was an organizer and he was a Black Panther. Most people that know anything about the Black Panthers, they know a picture of Huey P. Newton as a guy in a black beret with a AK-47 on kind of a throne. He's cool. He started the Black Panthers. If people know another person, it's probably Bobby Seals, the co-founder. But the third person and the person who's kind of as important as the two founders was a super young Marxist-Leninist labor organizer named Fred Hampton. I was born in Illinois uh, and he was the chairman of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panthers. Right. And so this movie takes off kind of at the height of Fred Hampton's powers as he is getting his organization, his Rainbow Coalition off the ground. Chris, can you explain to us how this movie functions? What sort of ground does it cover? Yeah, so the movie takes an interesting approach in that it is biographical and that it's looking at Fred Hampton and his time as the chairman of the Chicago Black Panther Party, but also is looking at the kind of simultaneous journey of this guy named William O'Neill, who he basically was arrested uh, for impersonating an FBI agent and stealing cars. And the FBI who actually interrogated him gave him the option of either going to prison or infiltrating the Black Panther Party and getting close to Fred Hampton and you know the other high-ranking members. And so the movie looks at how you know he infiltrates the party and his kind of moral, ethical dilemmas with that, and then also looks at Fred Hampton kind of at the same time in parallel. Alden, so we've talked a lot about what this movie looks like. How well does it actually do those things? Did you enjoy this movie? I did enjoy this movie. I would say going into it, I did not necessarily think it would be entertaining in the same way that, you know, a fun comedy is. I was worried it might be a little too dark and sad and that would be predominantly the notes it was hitting I think it definitely was not funny it was not a comedy but it was pretty fast paced and it was really interesting to watch and I think in my opinion they did a good job covering both the history and the biography of Fred Hampton and just the Black Panther Party in Chicago during this time as well as keeping a good narrative flow that really felt like it moved from scene to scene. Yeah, Will, do you agree with that? And if so, what what about the movie kind of allows it to succeed? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think that it struck a good balance of, you know, the story of an individual. And, and we should probably say uh, William O'Neill, this kind of FBI informant is played by Lakeith Stanfield of uh, Sorry to Bother You in Atlanta. Huge Lakeith fan, great follow on Instagram. And then Fred Hampton is played by Daniel Kaluuya, probably most famous for Get Out. 
I think that it does a good job of balancing the kind of personal story and the kind of interpersonal tension of O'Neill, of Stanfield, as well as kind of the history of the movement and just the environment of in Chicago uh, and kind of the coalition building that's happening uh, in, in that time. I think that it was fast paced. I think that it was entertaining. I think that there didn't have to be a lot of movie around this story. And I think that it was a good decision by the directors to really just let good acting and a good story kind of do its thing. I think that Coolia was like incredible, super powerful. Um, and I don't think the movie needed too much kind of extra drama or, or direction or, or anything like that. Do y'all agree with that? Interested to hear what you think on that. I definitely agree on the point of the actors. Kaluuya is incredible in this movie. I mean, Fred Hampton, again, he was so young. He was 21 when he was killed. And at this point, he's already built this incredible organization, coalition of people who beforehand wanted nothing to do with one another. So you know that this is a person who just must have had incredible charisma, an incredible presence. And Kaluuya brings that every single scene. You can see why all these groups of people would fall in behind him. You could see why the racist white establishment was terrified of him. And then in the tender scenes, you can see why this woman that we haven't talked about yet, played by Dominique Fishback, would fall in love with him. He's able to, to convey all that in every single scene, like just really incredible performance. And as you mentioned, Lakeith Stanfield, also an amazing actor, Jesse Plemons, as the FBI agent working with sort of handling Bill O'Neill, also a strong actor, the cast really top to bottom, even more names than we're gonna mention here today. So it, it's a film that's worth seeing just for the acting alone. Chris, I know you're a big movie guy though. What did you think of some of the more technical aspects of the movie, the direction, cinematography, that stuff? Yeah, um, I think it was extremely well done. I tried to like think before the podcast of like specific scenes that kind of stuck out to me. And I like, tried to watch the trailer again to kind of to kind of find it. And definitely I think the speech scenes kind of really steal it for me. I think there is there's one scene in particular where Fred Fred Hampton, it's his kind of first big speech back from from being in prison. And he's, you know, speaking to his his group, his coalition again for the first time. And it's there's just like this raw magnetic energy that you can like feel it's very palpable he keeps reciting this mantra you know i am a revolutionary like over and over and over and i've just i felt it you know i think the direction and the cinematography kind of really lended itself to like kind of what's been mentioned already that you know fred hampton was a truly truly gifted orator and organizer and i think that uh the movie just really captured that yeah, that was, that was the scene that stuck with me hardest as well. I was like getting chills watching it. I think that scene in some ways, at least for me, there's the, the, the fact that it's the contrast of you have him speaking, you have his power, you see Bill O'Neill in the audience looking out as like sort of a, a guardsman. I don't know if there's a technical term for, or like what they called themselves saying those words and the FBI informant in the audience looking at him and just the, the tension that's there and the fact that they're all saying it, but I actually think that they're all meaning it in a very different way. And they're all interpreting that line in, in, in their own way and like the way that the FBI informant, Bill O'Neill, I think, I don't think he thought he was doing the right thing by being an FBI informant, but I also don't think he knew he was or thought he was doing the wrong thing. I think the 
FBI agent himself also did not believe he was doing the wrong thing, but I also did feel in that moment, maybe a twinge of him considering what was actually happening and is this a is this a problem moment so to me the fact that you had all the three people in the same room really did solidify that scene as like the most memorable and some of this you know we talked about it a lot of the credit goes to the actors who were able to pull this off a lot of the credit goes to the script which i think is pretty tight it is fast paced i think we got to give shaka king his due as well directed this film not much of a filmography for Chaka King. He's directed one other feature, I think, and then some TV, some some short films. But I thought this was a really beautifully shot movie. The way the camera is so dynamic. It, we've got tracking shots. We've got shots during the speeches where like really tight close-ups on Hampton's face, such that as he moves around, the frame literally can't can't hold him. I just thought it really brought a lot to a movie that, as you said, Will, didn't need that extra polish. You know, this story on its own is so compelling, but I, I think it really is a complete film, top to bottom. Chris, anything to add? Yeah, yeah, I think I, I thought about it for a little bit after I, I watched the movie, and I, I think something that I... I was a little bothered by was just the story that was told was wonderful. And I think it was like really important for Fred Hampton's story to be told, but it didn't feel like it was told completely, you know, like we got to see Fred Hampton in the last year of his life doing, you know, this incredible work, but obviously this story is an entertaining one, you know, this betrayal, this, you know, of biblical kind of proportions, but I really wish that we could have seen more of Fred Hampton in this movie, because I think the work that he did with the Black Panther Party in Chicago was just so incredible. You know, that free breakfast program, the clinics, you know, he also at one point was able to get a non-aggression pact signed by all of the street gangs in Chicago so that they weren't fighting with each other. And I think that is like so powerful. And I think a lot of that gets lost in the movie because William O'Neill takes up such a big part of the movie. I really would have loved to see kind of just more of Fred Hampton's you know, journey to becoming who he was when we meet him in the movie. I think there's this really powerful scene. I can't remember. I think he's talking to um, Deborah. Yes, yes, Deborah, um, about how Fred Hampton's mother was actually the babysitter for Emmett Till and how seeing Emmett Till's body was actually kind of what sparked him in Fred Hampton in his own activism. And I think it's like things like that where it's like, I wish we could have just dug a little deeper, you know, into kind of the arc of where we, you know, we end up meeting him. And I think, you know, also, you know, with Deborah's character as well, like she, you know, I think she's such a force when she's on screen, but, you know, she doesn't get, I think, as much screen time as I, I was, I would have liked because I think we see Fred Hampton in this very public persona with the speeches and the rallies, but, you know, he was also a very private man. I would have loved to have seen kind of more of him behind closed doors. I think, Chris, that touches on the two things that I also felt like didn't sit perfectly with me. One was I left the movie thinking, wow, the FBI is so bad, rather than, wow, Fred Hampton was so great. And I think that is a bummer, that that was like the message that you end up leaving that movie with. I also do feel like Deborah Johnson did not get enough of a place in that movie she felt kind of just placed in in a way that I was like I wish she either wasn't in it 
or we had like examine this relationship more like like you never really see them interact and then all of a sudden they're together and they're like immediately together in this way that's like a, a powerhouse romance and then similarly you see her like pop up occasionally through the movie and then at the end they do like a a screenshot or like a you know some text that says how she like really continued the movement after his death and like how powerful she really was and how involved she was and I think we just didn't see that like she just wasn't a well-rounded character yeah I could have also used more from her you know John you or more of her John you mentioned kind of the the tender moments and a lot of those tender moments happen between Deborah and Fred and I think those serve an important purpose for me because a lot of Fred Hampton is he's looking really cool and he's really public and he's doing these kind of cool, uh, cool praxis uh, in prisons and going to do meetings and things like that. The the tender moments were reminded me that like the Black Panthers are cool. Huey P. Newton does have an AK-47, but that this is an ideology based on love. And he is first and foremost, a loving person that was putting love into the world. And so yeah, not to just make it about, you know, I wish there was more of her so that I could have more of him. But I do think that those messages drove home that he is a person that is deeply concerned with interpersonal connectedness. And I think that she brought that out in him. And so I, I would have liked more from more of her as well. And I think that really connects to what Chris was talking about a minute ago, where it's just a shame that this really incredible person who did so many things to help people in his time, he was overshadowed by sort of the, the violent ideology of the Panthers, or at least the white perception of that. And now in his death, even have we have this being somewhat of a correction, at least finally he's kind of taking his place as his rightful place as an important figure in American history. Still, we want to talk about how he gets shot and murdered. And that's what we're focusing on rather than all the other stuff. And Alden, I am glad you brought up that that we could have used more Deborah Johnson because as great a performance as I think it was from Fishbach to work with what she had, she largely is being used sort of just as a way for us to get more of Fred Hampton rather than as an individual in her own right, which is something that and clearly a lot of movies suffer from. One more topic I wanted to bring up here. To me, when I watched this, the first movie I thought of was The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is another big awards bait movie this year directed by Aaron Sorkin. There's a, a narrative link between these two movies. They both mentioned the Bobby Seale murder case. This was another member of the Black Panthers who's essentially set up by the FBI, they're trying to, to frame him for a murder that he didn't commit. These two movies, even though they're set at the same time and both touch on the civil unrest and civil rights movement of the late 60s, fairly different tones, I might argue different worldviews. Will, what do you think when you think about these two movies coming out within 12 months of each other? I mean, I think it's cool that more of these stories are being told. That's an important part in American history and American organizing history and Black history. You, know, you talk about different worldviews. It's funny, Alden, you said I came away from this movie being like the FBI sucks a lot. That's that's not exactly what I felt that night and the next day. Like if Trial of Chicago 7 ended and I was like, this world kind of sucks and they narrowly, well, I won't spoil it, but like 
things were almost really bad. It was kind of just lucky that it wasn't for a bunch of organizers. I was like, that is, that sucks. That's like not how I want to live. I did come away from this movie more of, you know, a la DSA, a better world as possible. I think that it had, um, it had hope in it. Like it is not a happy ending and it wasn't a happy ending for the Black Panther Party in America. But I, I came away with a much more hopeful kind of demeanor. And I don't think we see a lot of organizing in movies and shows, like effective organizing and praxis that, you know, there's material changes to people's lives as a, a result of some of the organizing that we saw in, in this movie. And so I like that. I thought it was more hopeful. All right. Well, thank you to you three for joining me here today at BU Review Service. Make sure to catch us next week where we'll be taking another look at whatever's new on streaming. Thanks and have a great week. Mm-hmm.